Turn with me to your Bibles. That didn't come out right. Turn in your Bibles with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you can pronounce it how you want. How many people find it really easy to find Habakkuk in their Bible? Nope, don't lie. I should really mark this. There we go. Put one of the fancy South Bay Chapel pins in there. All right. Let me ask you this question. Let me let me just kind of stir your mind for a minute. How do you get to know somebody? You spend time with them. But do you just sit there? No, you ask them questions, right? And they ask you questions. That's how they get to know you. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where do you work? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite television program? And And as they share information with you, not only do you know something about them, you begin to see where they come from. You know, if you see, if they answer their favorite television show is a comedy, then chances are they like to laugh and have fun. They're very, they're very much into being uh, uh, humored, and uh, they love to laugh. If it's a, if it's a drama, then maybe they're a little more serious. You can kind of get to the root of who they are, just through little things like that. You can't make assumptions, but you can kind of get to know who they are. Maybe their favorite food is Italian food, and maybe maybe that says, oh, maybe they grew up Italian, and they, it reminds them of their home or their family. You know, for me, I love Mexican food because I grew up eating Mexican food on my Hispanic side of the family. Um, it helps as, as you ask questions, it reveals to you who they are. But then as they ask you questions, it also reveals to you who they are. You see what's important to them. You see what, what goes beyond just being cordial. You know, if they ask you where you work, that's not a real intimate question. If they ask you why you work there, that's a little more intimate. If they ask you how long you've been there and why you like it and, and, and what exactly you do, that starts to grow this intimacy. And it reveals that maybe this person's motivation is, is less just being cordial. And it's more about getting to know me. The reason why I ask this question, the reason why I bring it up is because Habakkuk is going to ask God a question. It's more than just like a question like, why is this? It, it, it's, it's poetic in nature. He has come to God, and he has a concern. And in this, we see the heart of Habakkuk. We, we, we get an answer from God that probably isn't as satisfactory, doesn't, doesn't sort of answer exactly what we want to, uh, what the question entails. And God's pretty plain that even if I answered you, you'd still say, huh? You'd still wonder why, why this is happening. If you've ever talked to a child and they've asked you something as simple as like, why is the sky blue? Have you ever given them an answer that was satisfactory and they just walked away and said, oh, okay. No. A thousand more questions arise. Well, why isn't the sky purple? Why are there clouds? How does it rain? Why, how come birds can fly and we can't? You get a thousand more questions with one little, that starts with one little question. And so we're going to, we're going to read Habakkuk or Habakkuk's, I'm going to just use those both because I can't decide which is which. Um, we're going to read his question, and we're going to see that it's not just this pious religious question. This is, this is Habakkuk's heart. And he's not, I don't want to say he's not afraid, but there's, there's no fear to come before the Lord and ask a very, very difficult, hard question. So we're going to start in verse 2. Habakkuk is what we consider a minor prophet because his book is only three chapters long. 
You look at a book like Isaiah, 66 chapters long, we call him a major prophet. It doesn't mean one was, one was minor league and one was major league. It just means that one has more content than the other. So in verse 2, it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you, why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now, this is all very eloquent. This is all very, uh, it just flows off the tongue. It's poetic in nature. But what Habakkuk essentially has said to God is, why are bad things happening? And where are you in them? Church, just yesterday, a seven-point-something magnitude earthquake hits Nepal. And many of us look at the devastation and go, where is God? We see governments that are corrupt taking advantage of, of people. And we ask, God, where are you? And that's just on a global scale. Now we look at just our own family. Lord, this child is dying. Where are you? This marriage is crumbling. Where are you? This, these, there's not enough money ever to do anything. We, we can't even do anything fun. We, we can't even pay our bills. Where are you? Habakkuk has come to God with these same questions. And my first challenge and my first uh, exhortion to you today, or exhortation rather, is are you asking God these questions? Some of you, under the cloak of religion, are afraid to ask these types of questions. Oh, we can't ask God that. No, we got to be respectful, fear of the Lord and all that. Can't, can't come to him with those real questions. Just got to pretend and fake it uh, before God as if everything's okay. You know, often when somebody asks us, are we, how are you doing? We just say, okay. Our life could be crumbling behind the scenes, but we tell them, yeah, we're okay. We go to God and we don't tell him anything. We just, Lord, whatever. I, just, I, I know that I can't, I should have faith and can't ask and blah, blah, blah. And I need you to realize and understand today that coming to the Lord and asking him these hard questions is a totally legitimate thing to do. It's not about the questions you ask. It's the attitude in which you ask them. I could come to you today and say, hey, uh, what'd you do yesterday? Or I can come to you and say, hey, what'd you do yesterday? Two different approaches, right? One says, hey, I want to get to know you. The other one says, hey, I don't want to hang around this guy anymore because he makes me feel like I did something wrong. You could have just went to like a farmer's market, but all of a sudden you feel like you're guilty of something. Why is he asking me like that? Some people approach God in that manner. That is wrong. Lord, you must give me an account for why you do what you do. It's kind of like a child coming to you and saying, why did you spend money on the rent instead of candy? You're a kid. You don't understand that if we don't pay rent, we don't live. Like, can't just pay for candy when you want candy. We can approach God and ask them these hard questions when we come in reverence. See, when we come in the other manner, God's got a bigger problem. We have a bigger problem. Our bigger problem is our attitude and how we see God. Some people see God as, as our slave, that God is here to do our bidding, that we say the word and God does whatever we want. That's not how it works. We, we are here, we are making, God is our servant, but he's not our slave. We come as a bondservant to God. If you read through the epistles in the New Testament that Paul wrote, often you would say, 
at the very beginning, Paul, a bondservant of God. Bondservant is a willing slave. It's somebody that says, you know what? I love you so much. And you love me so much. You care for me. My life would be better in servitude to you than freedom anywhere else. That's a bondservant. And a bondservant comes in reverence and can ask anything, but comes in reverence and and respect. And this is what Habakkuk does. But nonetheless, he asks these hard questions. God, where are you? Psalm 13 is one of my favorite psalms because it's only six verses long. Six verses. You could read six verses in your sleep. Six verses is not that much. You compare it with like Psalm 119, which is like 172 verses. Come on. Psalm 13 is awesome. But in Psalm 13, four of those six verses sound like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This is a psalm of who? Does anybody know who wrote this psalm? David. King David. Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. And here he is probably in a cave somewhere, running from King Saul who wants to take his life, saying, God, where are you? Church, if you feel that today, God, where are you? You are in really good company because the church feels that way sometimes. The saints of the church experience these times where it seems as though God is very distant. And we generally measure that distance by whether we're feeling pain or not. He seems much farther away when we're going through more pain. Nobody asks where God is when you get the job promotion, right? Nobody asks where God is when you have the baby. Nobody asks asks where God is when something goes really good. We always ask when we feel pain because we're assuming if there's pain, then God must not be present. Here's here's the reality. How many people are familiar with the Exodus story of the Jews? In, In the book of Genesis and in the book of Exodus, they become slaves to the Pharaoh, and God, through Moses and Aaron, lead them out. And he leads them out into a desert. Have you guys ever been to the desert? Like, they need to open up a lemonade stand out there or something. Deserts are not, like, I don't know who goes to the desert for fun. There's, like, music festivals in deserts now. Like, who's signing up for that? Like, crowds, like, hundreds of thousands of people go to become dehydrated and die of hypothermia or or whatever the other thermia is, the reverse of hypothermia. Hypothermia? I don't know. Who, Who, why? Who are you helping? The desert's not fun, so you would sit there and go back, sit back and go, wait a minute, God took them out of Egypt to put them in the desert? Why didn't God just get rid of the Pharaoh? Give them Egypt. God could do that. Why didn't God just change the manager of Egypt? Get one that was more Jew-friendly. Instead, God brings the Jews, the Israelites, into the desert. You know what our assumption can be there safely? The desert is better than being in Egypt. That if that is where God has led you, if he has led you into the desert, then the place that is the desert is where you need to be. That is the that place is better than wherever you're at. Today, if you've been led from something that seems so good into a place that's seemingly barren and just not that great, you can assume that if God has led you, that is where you need to be, and that is what is best for you right now. Doesn't mean it's fun. Doesn't mean you build, you know, a, a, a carnival there and just, yay, we're in the desert, woo, Desert Fest 2015. No, you, you sit there and go, okay, 
Desert time will end someday. Did the Jews always spend their time in the desert? No. Eventually they make it to the promised land. Eventually we make it to be with the Lord. Amen? He comes back. He saves us. He takes us to be with him. He is our God. We are, we are his people. The desert doesn't last forever. But in the meantime, while we are in the desert, we can cry out to God. God, where are you? God, this hurts. Don't raise your hand. But how many people are just going through times right now that hurt? I mean, physically, emotionally, in every level, just, it's just pain all over. And your first question is, God, where are you? This is the same question that Habakkuk has. He's looking around and he's seeing, he's not just seeing the enemy prosper, he's seeing his own people in sin. You, know, you ever look around at, at the culture around you and you say, okay, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pay my taxes, I don't cheat anybody, I'm not the best person, but I'm not the worst person. I see that guy over there, and I'm pretty sure he's smuggling in immigrants in his backyard somehow, and he's selling meth or something. There's always a smell coming from their house, and, and it just, all, who knows what's happening over there, and now they've got a boat, and they've got jet skis and snowmobiles, and there's, all, they're, there's always being quote-unquote blessed. And you go, where's my stuff? You know, I, I can't make ends meet, but this guy's got everything. First of all, bad mentality to have. The whole grass is greener thing. If he's got a meth lab and a boat, trust me, things don't end well there. But maybe you say, the, the, maybe your boss at work, he's always fudging the numbers a little bit. He's always lying to the higher-ups. He's always taking credit for your work. You might sit there and go, man, what? I'm doing the right thing, he's doing the wrong thing, and he's prospering. We don't get to this answer today. You have to come later. Okay, that's, that's how we get you. We're going to get you to come later to get the answer later. But we're just going to focus on the question today. That same question is the same question that Habakkuk is asking. And you have to ask these questions too. Men like Abraham, men like Moses, Mary even, when she's told she's going to be she's going to be pregnant, but she's not going to do the things that happen to make her pregnant. It doesn't add up to her. She's a young girl, but she understands what's going on. She's like, Lord, how is this going to be so? She asks. She doesn't just say, Sure, Lord, whatever. I'll just be pregnant, I guess. Well, how is this going to be? How am I going to be? How am I going to have a baby without having some type of physical relationship with a man? How how's that possible? And God answers her. She asks in a reverent way, but she asks the real hard question. Paul and Peter and, and, and countless men, just ask. You do not need to be afraid to ask these questions. If anything, I would encourage you to do that. I've had people come to me and say, you know, Pastor Tony, I'm just mad at God. But I don't know what to do. And I, I don't know if this is the best advice, but it seems to be working so far. I usually tell them, be mad at God. Tell him you're mad at him. Tell him you're not cool with what's happening. If you even want to, throw a spiritual tantrum. Withhold your tithe and all that. I'm not going to go to church, so you change things. Whatever. It usually works for four-year-olds, right? Whatever. Because when you work through that, what generally happens? When you say the things that you probably shouldn't have said, but you said them anyways, what happens? There's, first, there's a catharsis. But then also you realize, man, that was dumb. Why did I say that? That's not true. God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said that. And then the intimacy grows. And then you get down to brass tacks and you get right down to what the actual problem is.
See, asking these questions, yes, it will reveal God's will to you, but here's what it does, and here's what we need as a people. It reveals us to us. Because we are really good at having a facade that fools ourselves, being dishonest with ourselves, pretending everything's okay, pretending that things aren't that bad. Oh, this isn't that bad of a sin. Or they didn't hurt me that bad. You just lie to yourself. But when you finally get down to the moment where you can't take the pain any longer and you ask these questions, it reveals who you are. It reveals how you see God. So I could come around to you each right now and ask you, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And you probably all would give the right answer. Whether you believed it or not, you'd give the right answer. But see, when you're by yourself and there's nobody else listening and and it's really just you and God, this is where where we find out who we are. This is where we find out uh, what's a lie and what's not. For, For Habakkuk, he comes in reverence, he asks these questions, but the real problem is, is he sees himself as different than everybody else. He sees himself as perfect, he sees everybody else as imperfect. He sees himself as sinless, he sees them as sinner. And whenever we get into that position, we've lied to ourselves. I'm good, they're bad, they're prospering, what gives? The problem is, they're bad, I'm bad. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus in in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it is, he comes and says, Lord, what is the good thing I must do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you come to me about things that are good? He says, there is only one who is good. He doesn't say there's a lot of people who are good. He doesn't say there's a whole organization of good people that we can confer with. There is one who is good. He is, he's literally telling this rich young man that I'm God and I am that only good person. The only good person who has ever existed decide to die for the sins of the world, the sins of the other not-so-good people. And I know that's not what anybody wants to hear. Everybody wants to hear that they're a good person, that everybody loves you. And, and you know, in, in a sense, yes, doing good things is a good thing to do, as revolutionary as that sounds. But with, uh, without Jesus, apart from Christ and his cross and his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf, the Bible says that we are sinners, that, that even our righteous deeds hang on us like filthy rags. That if we've come to God to barter with him over the good things we've done to, to appease the wrath because of the bad things we've done, the balance is just of the scales is just not moving at all. Our sin far outweighs our good. So, so rather than just tip the scales for us, Jesus obliterates the scales by dying for us. Today, whatever good deeds you've done, Praise God you've done them. There's people who have benefited from them. But I'm here to tell you today that without Jesus, in eternity, they'll mean nothing. If you have sinned even a little bit today, oh, I just told a little lie. Oh, I just kind of cheated on my wife. I just, I, I, don't, I haven't had a physical relationship outside of my marriage, but, but I flirt with the girls at work. You're guilty. Oh, I just, I just watch a little porn. Guilty. Oh, I'm just, I just drink a little bit too much. Guilty. Oh, I just lie a little bit to, to save myself, to protect people. Guilty. I just, I just don't, I just do what I want. I'm the king of my own world. Guilty. And the good news is that 
rather than leaving you there, rather than God saying, ah, if that's what you want, he says, no, I'll send my son to die in your place so that you might repent. See, there is hope. There is hope that this life can be different, that all the past sin, all the present sin, and even the sin of your future can be forgiven. That one day you can stand before the throne of God, you can stand before Jesus. The Bible says that's what we'll do. So you've got to be ready for that. That you can stand and God the Father will see the righteousness of his son rather than your unrighteousness. Now, I'll just give you my testimony here or my, my thought on this. If I have this chance to stand, between, uh, stand before a holy God as an unholy man with the holiest of men before me, I'm going to take that every time. Because I know that if I am judged by my actions, even on my best day, God will find plenty of sin to convict me for. And that doesn't make me arrogant. That doesn't make me, make me uh, mad at God. It makes me realize, God, you're right. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory. I, I try so hard and I still get angry. I try so hard, I still get bitter. I try so hard, I still lash out. I try so hard and I still run from you. But I have Jesus. And that doesn't give me a free ticket to sin. You know what that does? When I realize that Christ has died for me, when he had no reason to die for me, it doesn't make me want to go off and sin more. It makes me want to go off and sin less. Because he has paid such a price for me. Why would I want to, why would I want to spoil that or contaminate that? Why would I want to turn my back to that? doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means my motivation is entirely different. My trajectory goes a completely different way. Instead of going towards sin, I'm going towards holiness. And I fall and I stumble and I fall and I stumble and I get up and I fall and I stumble. But I'm still going that direction. I'm still following after Christ. Church, what are your hard questions today? What if, what if, this is just theoretical, but what if today, one of the major things standing before you or standing between you and the next step in your life is that you just start asking these questions? You, you, for whatever your reasons are, whether you're afraid to, it, you feel blasphemous, you're, you've been taught not to, you think that you have to keep a, a facade up for God or something – Whatever your reasons are, or maybe you are asking these questions, but you're acting like a, you're asking him like a child, throwing a tantrum. What if what if we just changed how we are asking, and in doing so, we grow and we learn, and then we move forward. What if the one thing holding us back is that we aren't just being honest before the Lord? We aren't letting. We aren't letting his Holy Spirit convict us in a way that leads to repentance. What if we're just, we know that God loves us, but we're not allowing him to really love us. And we, we have all the right things to say, but, but we really don't believe them in our hearts. It is very, trust me, it is very hard to admit, especially in church, that you just don't believe. Some folks understand Jesus. They understand the redemptive story. They understand the crucifixion, and then they say, but I can't believe that. I just don't have faith in that. That's hard to admit. I mean, you might admit it at work, you might admit it with your family, but at church, 
Seems like you're in a room full of people who aren't afraid to say the opposite. I can't. Well, I just better raise my hands then before somebody asks me a question. It's opposite of school. I'll just, I'll just go along with the motions. I'll just go along with everything. Maybe nobody will ask me that question. What if you just went to God and just said, God, I just have a really hard time believing in you. Do you think he'll run away? Do you think you'll scare him? Do you think you'll make him mad? Do you think he's not heard that before? Do you think he not already knows? That's See, when we start asking these questions, now we, at least for me, I feel silly. God already knows this. There's no, there, there's no box in my heart where I keep my secrets. You know, that's you know, it's covered in lead. Like God can't see through lead, like Superman. Like, no, he can't see this. I don't believe this part or this thing, or I have a hard time believing the Bible, or I don't like church, or I don't like Christians. I'm just gonna put that right in there. I don't like those songs they sing. I'm gonna put that right in there and just, oh hi everybody. When's the potluck? What if we just came right out before God? So God, I, I just don't. I just don't like that music. I just don't believe. I just don't like those people. I once, uh, I was once in a punk rock band. Loved it. Coolest thing ever. And and then I gave my life to Jesus. And he, it's not that Jesus was against the punk rock. I just realized there's a lot of songs I was singing that weren't really edifying of anybody, let alone Jesus. And so I began to weed those out, and my music collection became smaller and smaller. I thought, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so I must have to listen to Christian music, right? And then you go to the store, at least back then, you went to a music store, and you browse through the CDs, and you're like, this is awful. I don't want to listen to this. And some of you, I'm blowing your minds right now, and I'm sorry, but that's the way that it was. And I'm like, it's, I don't want to listen to this. This is so s slow. If you know anything about punk rock music, it's really fast. So this is so slow. I'm just going to go to sleep. I don't I muscle through it. I remember one day just praying. Lord, I I just need some music, man. I just need something I can listen to that is not like this. Now, side note, worship music is not what I'm talking about here. When we sing these songs on Sunday morning, these have nothing to do with my personal taste and flavor. These are being sung for him. So I will sing one note and one word for an hour if I feel that it's pleasing to the Lord. It has nothing to do with entertainment value. If a song has a good beat and melody, all all the better. But those songs aren't for me. Those songs aren't for you. Those songs are for the Lord. We're talking about just music in general. And I remember getting in my dad's truck, because I was living with my dad at the time, getting in my dad's Ford F-150. It was a farm truck. It was beat up. I got in there. I turned on his radio that only had like four stations. And this song came on. And none of you guys have ever heard it except for my wife and my children, because I make them listen to it all the time. And it was amazing. I was like, Oh my gosh, Lord, these are men, they're Christians, and they're making good music. I didn't know all those three could go together. This is awesome. And, and I was opened up to this brand new world of music that I'd never known. All because I came to the Lord one day and was just honest with him. Lord, this music sucks. I don't want to listen to it anymore. I can't pretend anymore. And the Lord answered that prayer. Now, Music is, can be a, a very light thing. I mean, some of you have problems bigger than just the music you want to listen to. Some of you, it's, it's the fact that you have cancer or someone in your life has cancer. Maybe it's, it's, it's the fact that you have no money and you have no money for your future and you're scared. Maybe it's you have a job that's, that's paying just enough to keep you in debt. 
Maybe maybe it's it's your marriage is just crumbling so fast and you can't seem to get any footing. Maybe your problems are a lot bigger. But maybe, just maybe, we go to the Lord and say, Lord, my marriage is crumbling and I don't I can't get any footing and I, I'm out of options. I'm not saying this forces God's hand. Anybody who says that, that they have a trick to force God's hand to do what they to do what they want is is lying to you and dangerous. But maybe you could go before the Lord and just be honest it for once. This hurts so bad, Lord. Lord, where are you? You can echo Psalm 13. Lord, how long? How long will I suffer? The, the good news about the book of Habakkuk and Psalm 13, they end with praise. Circumstances don't change. It's not as though Habakkuk goes before, the, goes before God, asks these questions, and God's like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. I'll go fix all that. He kind of lays out what's actually going to happen, and Habakkuk walks away saying, you know what? With God on my side, who could be against me? And no matter what's going to happen, I will have God with me. And he ends this book singing. Any of you sing when you're happy? I sing when I'm happy. I sing all the time. My children sing all the time. My wife sings all the time. We love to sing. We make up songs about the silliest things. Whether it's just what I'm actually doing in the moment. I'm waving my hands at church. Like the, the, that kind of a thing. Or whether it's an actual song. that we, we just love singing. And we sing more when we're happy. We went on vacation. And we just sang songs driving all the way down to Florida. Just singing. Loved it. When Habakkuk realizes that he has the Lord and the Lord has him, what springs out of him is joy. Not happiness, not fleeting, not temporary, a joy everlasting that could not be stolen from him. Even the circumstances, the storms, whatever metaphor you want to use, could not extinguish the song in his heart. Church, I want you to meet Jesus, to see your troubles to see Jesus is bigger than them, and then begin to sing. Pastor Tony, I can't sing. Well, it's a metaphor. You don't have to literally sing. But you're filled with such joy that the circumstances, you know you're going to outlast them. How many people here are competitive? I'm very competitive. Like, we could be folding towels. I'm like, I'm going to fold them faster. I'm going to fold them more square than you. Just competitive. I don't like losing. I love coming up to a circumstance and saying, you know what? Only one of us is going to be standing when this is all said and done. And it'll be me and Jesus. It won't be you. It won't be this circumstance. You might take everything I have, but I will be standing in the power and in the name of Jesus. And, 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 and that's just the way it's going to be. Now, you don't just get there. I spent a lot of years saying, oh, God, what's going to happen to me? For some reason, when I'm in distress, I sound like Mickey Mouse. Hello, everybody. But the reality is, it took a lot of it took a lot of trials to realize. Okay, a hundred times before God got me through this, maybe He'll get me through this one too. And so maybe my attitude can change from distress to God's got this. And that rhymes, so it must be true, right? That's a joke. You can laugh. So what do we do? Well, let's get over the fear and let's just admit these things. There was a, a man that Jesus once met. He had a son who was demon-possessed. 
If that part of the story doesn't freak you out, we can go on a little bit more. Child is, uh, is demon-possessed. The father doesn't know what to do. He cries out to Jesus. Jesus says, all things are possible to those who believe. And the father doesn't say, oh, sure. The father says, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. That is a legitimate, real prayer today. If you don't believe, then ask God to help you to believe. See, I love this about God. It's not up to us. The power in which we even worship God is power from him. The, the love that we share with others is love that comes from him first. The way that we serve starts because we have been served by God. We, we now flip the tables. It's not earning God's love. It's going out and loving because God first loved us. So let's, let's stand. I want to pray. Nobody's got to say anything out loud. Nobody's got to admit anything uh, to me or to each other. But I do want you to be honest before the Lord here today. Stand up. Let's pray together. Where's my wife? She is? Okay, never mind. It's all right. We're going to pray. And maybe today you've just been challenged. You realize, oh, he's on to something. The Holy Spirit's been working on you. You're, you're hearing things that I'm not necessarily preaching, but, but the Lord is stirring up something in your, in your mind that you now have to deal with. And you could go home and squash that and forget about it, but I, I guarantee you it's in your best interest to, to attack this right now. So I want to pray with you. Close our eyes, bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I look at Habakkuk's question and I marvel at it because he was so, so comfortable to come before you and ask these really hard questions, to admit that it hurt to see others sin and still prosper, to look upon the landscape of humanity and wonder why and where you were. But I also see his folly. I see where he sees himself as different than the other people that he himself somehow is, is untainted by sin. So, Father, I pray today that you would open our eyes to ourselves, that we would see ourselves for who we really are, that we would understand that apart from you, we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory, that we have all sinned and, and our sins are like scarlet before you. But we, may we not end there. May we realize the truth that is greater than that, that Jesus the sinless, spotless Lamb of God has come. He has died upon a cross for my sins and our sins. And not only that, has conquered death so that we might be saved, that we might be saved from the wrath that we have earned through our sin. Father, we, I am trusting the gospel message today that, that Jesus loves his people so much that he laid down his life for them. Not just in a vague general sense, but specifically for each one of us individually. And Father, may that raw openness before us in turn become raw openness before you. May we be vulnerable before you. Ask the questions. Admit the, the disbelief or unbelief we might be experiencing. And not, and not just try to whitewash over it or pretend it's not there, but really just address it. Maybe our problems are very small, like the music that we listen to or the, or the people in the church. Lord, I know that if we admit those things, that, that, you will, that you will ignite a fire in us and a love for the people of the church and, and the music that we sing and, and the culture that we have. But Father, for the problems beyond that, 
where we see life as being devastating and hard and, and arduous, Lord. May we, may we come to you and just admit that. And may you continue to comfort us. Your word says you have sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter. And I can only assume that you have sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us because we are going to be going through discomfort. So Lord, through your Holy Spirit, comfort us today. For each person here today, may you meet them, Lord. And in these questions, uh, reveal yourself to them and reveal, the, reveal themselves to themselves, Lord. We love you, Lord. You are a good, loving, near, personal, a, a living God. And I thank you for that. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.